it's great to be here today and see you all. Thank you very much for the invitation. And my subject today is vulvar disease and overview. So hold on to your hat. You're going to see lots and lots of different things as I take you on a trip. Guess where? Down there. I haven't got any conflicts, but I will tell you there's little evidence-based medicine involved disease or very few uh, clinical trials, and everything I'm almost everything I'm going to talk about today will be off-label. Oh, why vulvar disease? Why do you care? Oh, I need you to care. I really need you to care. I need you to care because it's not taught. It's not a priority in any programs anywhere. And yeah, guess what? It takes time. And it's a problem because it's still an area of taboo. And I always thought it was my patients that were the problem. But after I go into practice, guess what? It's the caregivers. Taboo for them, too. They won't go and look. They don't want to get too close. All those taboos. So it's not available. And for women, that's absolutely devastating because these poor ladies, they get undiagnosed problems for years and years. Everything's yeast infection. They waste millions of dollars on yeast infection treatments and get nowhere, they hide, they scratch, they endure pain and discomfort and sexual discomfort, and they're desperate for help. They're desperate for your help because you can help them. Well, let's start off with what the vulva is. You know what? Women don't know what it is. It's down there, and they've got a whole bunch of cutesy names for it. But you know what? It's not down there, and it's not the vagina. All women come and say, because the itchiest vagina is killing me. No, it's the vulva. So let's eliminate the down there generation. Can you help me, please? There are diagrams you can get. Go to the issvd.org, and you can get on patient education this diagram, and you can download it. And you can use it so that when you look at your patients and you examine them, you can make sure all their bits are there, check that their anatomy is intact, and you can use it for education and desensitize your patients so they'll learn about themselves. You know, the trouble with the vulva is it's sort of like a little town. Everybody passes through. No one stops to look. And when, even if they did look, they don't know what they're seeing anyway. So help me here, will you? Good. Some premises. It takes a lot of courage for your patients to come and talk to you about their vulvar conditions. They've got anxiety, they're sometimes, quite frankly, upset and depressed, and they've hidden it for a long time. And anatomy, yeah, it's confusing because nobody showed you what the anatomy was. You never learned it, and people don't know the minutia of it because you're not supposed to get down there and kind of look at it like that. And abnormalities are rather subtle. This woman was sent to me at, oh gosh, almost 30 years ago, maybe longer, and she was sent because she had these little yellow dots down here, and everybody said, oh, well, that's why she's itchy, and nobody noticed she's got no vulva. There's no clitoris, there's no labia minora, they're absolutely all gone, the whole thing's flattened out, and she had been going and getting her checks every year. Oh, yes, she always had her pap smears, while her whole vulva withered away. Is that sad? Yeah, it's sad. She's got lichen sclerosis, with a withered away vulva. Those are just normal grease glands. So when you're looking at the lady here, I can't point at both of them, so I'm sorry about these. I'll try to go back and forth for you guys. But anyway, see the little white area here just starting in the paleness? It's just beginning. 
And if you pull that prepus back and the prepus is swollen, that's the beginning of lichen sclerosis, so it can be very subtle. It's all about pattern recognition. So if I can help you with that today, we got somewhere. I can't go through all the normal variations of the vulva. When a baby is born, they've got maternal androgens, so that clitoris is quite large, labia minora are tiny. As we get older, of course, the labia and the colors and the shapes are all going to be as different as the shapes around our ears, but they do take on a general pattern. And these women are both in their 30s, the pinkness, quite normal. The sizes and shapes of all these bits and pieces are a little different. There's a nice healthy high metal ring. Here's a woman who was sent to me for ulcers, and those are big pits on the edges of her skein's uh, ducts around the urethra. It's completely normal. She's had a number of babies. She's 49, and you can see into the vagina. It's all quite normal. When you look at the patients, please make sure all the bits are there. They're not missing anything. Pull a prepice back. Make sure the prepice isn't stuck down onto the clitoris, indicating a scarring condition. You may see these little, or these little wee tiny filiform growths. They're monomorphous, one stalk each. If you take your glove finger and rub it over, they're soft. These are vulvar papillomatosis. They're completely harmless, but they do look pretty warty. You can have just a few, like in this patient, or many, many. They're completely harmless. They wither away as we get towards menopause. Not all women have them, but if you see them, they're harmless. How do you sort out what's happening? Pathology, you're going to biopsy what you need to biopsy. And for heaven's sakes, for things like lichen sclerosis, if you don't know what it is, don't just throw clobetazole at it and have them come back in a month because you'll think about biopsying it. Because guess what? You'll wreck the path. If you want to know what it is, do the pathology. I mean, you can make them comfortable for a while and, and get it done. Please, please put topical anesthetic on. Women are afraid of it. They know that it's going to hurt. But if you put 2.5% lidocaine or prilocaine or your 5% lidocaine ointment on that tissue around the vulvar trigone, which is that inner aspect of the labia minora or the outside of the labia minora, honestly, 15 or 20 minutes around that introitus, it'll be numb enough that you can put the little 30-gauge needle in with your, the rest of your anesthetic, and they will hardly feel it at all. The keratinized skin is going to take longer, and all this information is going to be in on the website because my lecture will be there, so you don't have to take notes on anything. If you want to do a biopsy, make sure it's four millimeters. If you're not sure, take more than one. And so you're going to look at this lady, and she's got no vulva left. It's all gone away. It's all eroded, and you've got this sort of bit of a lacy change, and you're not sure. You know, we talked about it this morning. Do we biopsy the which part and how far away, and what do we do? Well, here it's eroded, so we want to get off the edge a little bit so we can get some answers, and so we've picked some of those spots. And if you think she's got a blistering disease, you may do one for immunofluorescence also. When you do the biopsy, you take the piece and just top a little bit of bleeding with the Moncells or silver nitrate and just Vaseline. They heal up very, very well. Do very well. If you want a little spike, a little nevus or something like that, you can use a suture just to lift it up, get some traction, and get it off with a little scissor. And that works very well, too. Histopathology, well, we know that histopathology is not perfect. Please use a good dermatohistopathologist. And it can be inconclusive, especially, you know, if the disease has already been treated, as I talked about a minute ago. It can be 
you know, you've got to make sure you've got an active area, and sometimes if you've got a really old scarred vulva, maybe it's inactive, although the anatomy is a bit altered. You may have unexpected disease. You know, it's amazing. You biopsy one thing, and you've got something else. You're looking at a rash, and you're at the edge of a, of a tumor. Unfortunately, for things like lichen planus, it's often nonspecific. And please trust your eyes and look. Please look. Stop. Look. Take the time. These patients were diagnosed with contact dermatitis and infection. Look at the figure of eight of white, the scarring, the contact dermatitis and fecal debris. Of course she's got contact. She's been scratching. It's secondarily infected. That's all correct. But underneath all that, you can see the lichen sclerosis. Here this lady had a biopsy and it showed psoriasis. Psoriasis is associated with lichen sclerosis, so you probably did biopsy a little bit that showed psoriasis, depending on where that biopsy. This one happened to be a little bit out here, and it was in, this is not working now, the edge of the hairy area. But look at the scarring. That's not psoriasis, that's lichen sclerosis. And over here, there's the squamous cell carcinoma. Don't forget to use your fingers and touch the vulva and find the hard bits if they've got a tumor or something that's going on. And remember that multifactorial problems. The vulva is, is, is wet and moist and people are scratching and putting all kinds of things on it, so you're going to see a mixture of things. So here's a lady who's got a nice big plaque of psoriasis. She's incontinent, so she's wearing pads, so she's sure got contact dermatitis. She's probably scratching a bit little infection, so you're going to look at more than one thing. This lady, look at the lichen sclerosis, complete loss of the anatomy, white, 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 massive amount of scratching. Look at her dirty fingernails from scratching underneath there all the time. She was cleaning this with soft scrub six times a day. So you know immediately she has some other problems too. So recognize concurrent conditions. I'm not going to read you this list, but always think of infections including herpes, which can complicate things. Sometimes you use topical steroids, and then you get herpes on top of that. All the rashes, contact dermatitis, lichens, the lichens, cancers, lack of estrogen, trauma, and sexual dysfunction. Let's start with herpes simplex. I'm sure most of you are familiar with herpes simplex. Primary disease we really don't see very often, quite rare, actually. But HSV1 is increasing, so the ratio of HSV1 to HSV2 is flipped. So 50% now are HSV1 because of the increase in oral sex. And it's spread from a partner that's asymptomatic, and women usually don't have any idea that they had it or got it. And you know that HSV2 recurs far more frequently than HSV1 at 89% versus 45%. But women still don't know what it is, and when they get an irritation in their vulvar area, they think they have recurrent yeast, or they think their genes don't fit, or something like that, and they don't have any idea they've got herpes. I think you all could recognize the herpetiform pustules that are seen once those little, we seldom, seldom see the blisters, we see little pustules here, more necrotic. In secondary um, uh, herpes recurrent, it can be very just a few little erosions you might find, or it can be quite dramatic, as in this lady who actually had a really bad dose of the flu, so she had a really bad outbreak. And I encourage you not to shave when you got herpes simplex. This lady shaved and spread it from down here all the way around. 
First episode, non-primary herpes simplex, what's that? This is a nurse who came to see me. She had had a very, very bad uh, pneumonia, had been sick and actually home in bed for a week, and this is two weeks later, suddenly developed this incredible erosive condition. I don't know how the lights are. I, I hope that they're not too much of a glare for you. But look, and you can see it. There are the herpetic, oh gosh, this is not where you want to, okay. See those, they're little yellow pustules of herpes. You can actually see it. It's right there in front of you, but you've got to look. You won't even have to necessarily test that. It's so obvious. But yes, you'll test it, send it off for PCR, and make that diagnosis. Immunosuppressed herpes can be a little bit scary because you get these big ulcers that are getting bigger and bigger. They're very, very, very painful. And this can happen in your HIV patients, but I see it in leukemias and lymphomas. And we had a case at Dartmouth not very long ago of a woman who came in to merge huge ulcer down, the, down in the um, perineum and she was having trouble with the pain. She came in and they tested her and she had acute leukemia. We could see the herpetic lesions off the edges. These are painful, indolent, and they don't go away. They just continue spreading as far as a herpes simplex that comes and goes. And these are ulcerated, not eroded, as you usually see with herpes. Your diagnosis, if you've got an acute onset, used to be culture, now I use PCR. If you think a patient may have had herpes and you want to rule it out, you're going to do the proper serology, I'm going to do biopsy. Candida, the commonest of all the genital infections. It's what every woman is sure that she has, and almost all her caregivers, too. It's constantly being diagnosed over the telephone. It's amazing. I had a lady who was sure she had candidiasis and came in, and she had pubic lice. So don't be sure it's always candida when they're itchy and uncomfortable. Candida albicans is the commonest of all the yeast infections. I think you probably know that. What's important, though, is the non-candida albicans Albicans candidas can be less sensitive to fluconazole. It complicates all of our other conditions. So you're going to see it with contact dermatitis, even with skin cancers. And the picture is incredibly variable. In some older patients, you may not see hardly anything at all. The vulva looks really quite normal, and you don't have a great big discharge, but she's uncomfortable. So you look, do a swab, and, and do a KOH, and you can find it. Often the red fissured, very common to see fissures in candidiasis. The erosions break easily and they get little raw eroded areas. Very seldom do you see the classic that they talk about in the textbooks, sheets of pustules, swollen labia with that cheesy discharge. We just don't see that that often. Here's a lady who's got lichen sclerosis. Look at the scarring, flattening, and loss of all the normal architecture. Very, very red, very swollen. She almost looks like she's got a, a you know, she's got a tinea. But you can see the sheets and sheets of pustules and the desquamation. Here's another one. And when you look under the microscope, there's the hyphae. You can see the organisms. And then I think you know how to treat it. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the treatments here because I think you can see them. But... Um, I usually use fluconazole, and if it's acute, I use 150 milligrams day one, three, and seven. For suppression, I'll use 150 to 200 milligrams weekly for three to six months. For resistant disease, we use boric acid, and those are compounded suppositories for 14 days. Unfortunately, my vulvar patients get pretty desperate. They itch, they burn, 
they're miserable. They usually hold on to it for a very long time, so when they come to see it, they're really, really frantic. And what do they like to do? They like to wash it away and clean it up. Who told everybody the vulva's dirty? But these women are really convinced they're dirty. And you know, I say to them when they come to see me, every morning, do you get up, do you take your washcloth, do you fold your lips down, and do you give it a good wash? Is that what you do? Oh, you don't. Why? Oh, because your lips will get sore. Well, don't be doing it down there. What are you scrubbing it with a washcloth for? Hands only. Please be gentle. It's rather gentle tissue. You know, be nice. Because if you don't, you're going to get contact dermatitis. And everybody here knows what a primary irritant and contact dermatitis is. It's a caustic problem. And it is in all the things I see on the vulva. I mean, I see that almost every day on top of everybody. They're scratching the number one contactants, Mrs. Fingernail, and all the crap they're putting on it. Okay? Hygiene. Amazing. Wipes. What's with wipes? Everybody's using all these wipes now. No wonder they're irritated. And of course, moisture, you know all that, and then all the lotions and potions they put down there. Everybody recognized the baby with the contact dermatitis from a diaper, but we don't recognize it in adults. And they often will have a little bit of incontinence, and they use um, a little menstrual pad that doesn't work very well, and keeps them wet all day, and they have a contact dermatitis. They need a proper pad, and they need to deal with it. If you leave the diaper on for weeks, days, not weeks, no, it is, but for days and days, you're going to get a horrible eroded mess, right? This is exactly the same pattern you will see with benzocaine. So benzocaine will give you pain and vagicil will make you ill. 20% benzocaine is incredibly caustic. This lady came in an ambulance all the way to my office in Manchester, New Hampshire, because she had gotten itchy about six weeks before and been using benzocaine six times a day and she was in the hospital about 40 miles north of us. And this is all just a caustic burn from benzocaine. This lady was out on Lake Winnipesaukee, which is a beautiful lake district near us, and she was a bit hot. She went down to clean up, so she used witch hazel four times just to wipe everything and tidy herself up so it was, it was nice and lovely. And it burned all the skin off. More, another benzocaine rash. So people really do quite amazing things to their vulva. Tea tree oil, harmless little thing. Why not a little tea tree oil? Fixes everything, right? Sure did. She was not only burned with it, she was allergic to it. So allergic contact dermatitis, we don't see it as much, really very much less than you see from the irritant. And everyone knows what that is. But Think about it. With patients that aren't getting any better, this lady was using neomycin because she thought the area was dirty and she should put something on to keep it clean because it was always being itchy and she was keeping it going with neomycin so they're going to have to get proper patch testing. This lady has, another ben has a benzocaine rash. Look at the contact dermatitis all over here. But you had to find out why she was doing this because she had it repeatedly. It would have it and it would go away and it would have it and go away. And the problem was there's her herpes simplex. So every time she got herpes simplex, she put the benzocaine on for comfort. Contact dermatitis, you know how to fix that. Stop it. Stop what they're using. If you're not sure what it is, get them properly patch tested. Look after secondary infection. Sedate them if they're scratching. Get them comfortable. All the usual things. And if they're in a moderate potent steroid will work, use ointments, not creams. And if they're not doing well, use your systemic steroids and get them better quicker.
Contact dermatitis is frequent. It complicates all of our vulvar conditions. Irritant is the most common. Watch out for that barrier and beware those ladies with the dirty vulva. Psoriasis, and I forgot to put down how common psoriasis is in the vulva. It's about uh, 3 to 7%, depending on the studies you look at. The problem with psoriasis is that they will come to see you for their psoriasis, and they won't tell you anything about the vulva. And they go to their gynae, and they say, now fix me. And the gynae goes, huh? I don't know. And they come back, and they won't tell you. And they're miserable, and they scratch and scratch and get it infected. And it's atypical because it's moist down there, so it doesn't have the white silver scale you're used to seeing or the typical papular squamous appearance. Usually it's in the skin folds, but it also can be concentrated in the hairy area. depends on the individual. And unfortunately, it's too often missed. I don't need to tell you about psoriasis. You all know what it looks like on people. In the vulvar area, it can be a papular squamous rash just in the hairy area, often in the gluteal cleft, with fissuring and redness. The gluteal cleft isn't usually too crusty. It can be big plaques, and when you see a big plaque like this, that's a child, and this lady's in her 80s, and she's incontinent, so that's making it worse. Think about psoriasis. Here you have a mixture of the redness and the scaling. Here's a lady with the scaling down here, and if you opened her up, she would have a scarred vulvitis, and she has associated lichen sclerosis, and those two things actually do go together. A lot of secondary changes here, and you're familiar, you're quite good, you know dermatology, people scratch, they get it secondarily infected, so the pattern can be quite different. This is a very diffuse papular squamous rash. This lady, we opened her up, she also had lichen sclerosis. Treatment, stop your irritants. It's the same as we did the contact, really. Treat their infection, stop that inflammation with your topical steroid, but then after a couple of weeks on your steroids, go to one of the calcineurin inhibitors if they're not burning and irritating, or one of the topical vitamin Ds, or just a milder topical steroid. And usually they do fairly well. The itchiest of all the rashes in the vulva is lichen simplex chronicus. And, you know, it's basically the itch that rashes. And often these are atopics. They sweat a bit. They start getting itchy. They start scratching. They get into this itch, scratch, itch. It's worse with heat, humidity, stress. And it is associated with many things, including psoriasis, atopic dermatitis, contact dermatitis. But you, I've even seen um, squamous cell carcinoma in situ, which is called vulvar intraepithelial neoplasia patient got really itchy and had a lichen simplex chronicus on top of that. And I showed you that woman with uh, the squamous cell carcinoma, very thick vulva um, at the beginning that was scratching like that. The trouble with these patients is they love to scratch. They find it almost erotic. And when they scratch, of course, the skin gets looking like leather, doesn't it? And that's what that lichenification. And look, the anatomy is normal. There's no missing bits here. You've got all of the pieces there, just thick, thick skin. And as it thickens up, that keratin gets thick. It absorbs the moisture from the environment, so it looks gray-white. And that's why it gets mixed up with some of the other lichen things. Very, very, very thick. And of course, if you touch it, it feels like leather. They're relentlessly itchy. Nothing helps. They often will have it for years. They get treated. It comes back. And you see lots of secondary changes. 
And the diagnosis is clinical. You usually don't need to biopsy it. But it can be dramatic as they scratch and scratch. Look at all the scratching that's going on. And if you feel that, it's very, very thick and not quite so gray here. It's more reddish, but it is thick with their chronic scratching. Here are two women who are from India. When I was in Mumbai teaching a few years ago, I took these pictures just to show you on darker skins. Can you imagine? It's 107 degrees to 112. A little sweating, maybe. Very, 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 very thick. And of course, they're very irritated all the way around with a lot of hyperpigmentation. So look for more than one problem, because there's usually more than one problem. As I said, it can be bilateral or unilateral, as it is in this case. And in every case, you're going to see a contact. This is fingernails, the big one. Infection and probably a dermatosis underneath. And the thing you've got to do is stop them scratching. I'd like to put them all in straight jackets sometimes, and sometimes I can't, but I can't do that. So I've got to find almost an emotional one at times. Look at how they scratched all the hair off here, gray, thick very scratched. And first you want to optimize that barrier because that's what you're doing with skin anyway. So we control infections and I put them on a, a cefadroxyl and I cover them with fluconazole so they don't get infected, so they get a dose of fluconazole when I start the antibiotic and then at the end a week later. So get two doses. I reduce heat, sweating, and irritation and stop all their excessive hygiene. They're in this, oh my gosh, this group love loofahs. And they love to scrub. And they say, well, you know, I just go to the bathroom and I just give it a little wipe. I say, what do you mean? Well, I just rub it a little bit, you know, just. And how many times? It... Ten times a day. OK. Soak them. Get them in, you know, if a handheld shower will work. Uh, sits bath will work. Tub works. No hot water. Don't use ice packs. I've had patients sit on ice packs and stick it to their bottom and then pull it off. And I've got to deal with that wound. Well, it's easier to deal with pain than it is with itch. You know that. They get really itchy and they're miserable. So I use a topical steroid, halbetazole, clobetazole, one of the superpotents, twice a day for two weeks, once a day for two weeks, Monday, Wednesday, Friday for two weeks. Sometimes I'll alternate on the other days as I get them down with a non-steroid or, or even a calcineurin inhibitor or 2.5% hydrocortisone. If they're severe, give them a course of prednisone and a taper. I don't like prednisone. I try never to use it. I use IM triamcinol, and it's my favorite been using it for years and years and years, and I use it up to a milligram per kilogram per dose, and it works really, really well. It's also IM compliance, you know. I gave it, they got it, it's going to work. You re-try to stop them scratching, because if they're scratching, they're going to ruin every bit of your treatment. So you've got to use hydroxazine or doxepin. Don't use Benadryl or something like that. It's not going to work. And I start with 10 milligrams. They're quite sensitive, unfortunately and build it up. And they're almost obsessive about that scratching. So sometimes I'll even have them on something like citralopram during the day, and that's all in your handout. I can get them better. It takes a lot of nursing them along. And I see them monthly for three months or so until they're better. And I follow them. And I warn them, you know, when they get itchy and get upset, they might, excuse me, when they get upset and start sweating again, they might start scratching. But I make sure they've got a program and they can go back to do it. What about infection? This group get MRSA. I see it quite un not uncommonly, so culture them. And bleach baths are wonderful. They really are. And you can do bleach sits baths too, and the formula is in your handout. 
Lichen sclerosis, the commonest of all the chronic vulvar conditions, white, scarred, forming a figure of eight, onset usually perimenopausal, and it's quite variable, anywhere from just a little bit of whiteness and a normal anatomy to scarring and purpur from chronic scratching. It's the commonest cause of chronic vulvar disease, affecting one in a thousand women. I always say there should be at least four clinics for lichen sclerosis just in New York City alone, and there isn't one in this country for lichen sclerosis. Oh, there are hardly any vulvar clinics anyway. It does involve children, and in five, four to five percent can go on to squamous cell carcinoma. It's very, very itchy, and this lady here came to see me. She got out of her truck in Canada, and as she got out of her truck, she had to step down. So she stepped down, and she split. She's scratching. She's scratched everything. It's purpuric, scarred down. It's a mess. Another lady, not so much an anatomical change. She's got flattened labia, but she's still got her clitoris here, but purpura, and here you can't hardly see anything, and very, very, very scratched, so it's really variable, the pattern. So you're going to see usually primary, I never see these little waxy papules and clean little plaques. They've usually scratched and they've got a lot of secondary change. Can be a diffuse erythema. If you look at the edges, it has, a diff it has almost a cellophane sort of sheen to the surface of the skin and the patterns are going to be variable. This is not classically in the vagina. There's going to be two new reports coming out with it on um, patients that had prolapses, very rarely in the mouth. And you're going to see lots of secondary changes, and I'm not going to go spend any time on this because you know all the secondary changes you see on the skin, and you can see all kinds of variable scarring, but mostly eventually you lose all the bits of the normal vulvar anatomy. The symptoms are itchy in 90% and severe in up to 30 to 40, even 50%, pain in 40%, and then get a lot of, of sexual dysfunction, dysuria. In children, you can see problems with defecation uh, that can be going on for years. And uh, the scary thing about lichen sclerosis is here. I see women with no vulvas all the time, and they say, where did it go? I've never had any symptoms. It doesn't bother me. It just withered away. How sad. But they went to the doctors to have their, all their checkups, but noticed, nobody noticed as it just sort of shrunk away. Because it can be asymptomatic. These ladies are itchy. See the anatomy here, the loss, and the thickening and lichenification. They've almost got a lichen simplex chronicus. They get really thick in here. They'll get fissuring and secondary infection. See the typical figure of eight pattern often goes up the crural folds as we see here. Clitoral changes, the subtle I showed you earlier, much more dramatic, scarred down, little hint of the clitoris here, purpura, lost the labia minora. This lady's been scratching for 30 years, thick, thick, thick. If you see something like that, for heaven's sakes, do think about cancer and get a proper biopsy. They're flat here. You can see the uh, uh, atrophy from lack of estrogen, and she's got a bit of a prolapse. This lady was the first one, the first ladies I ever treated with clobetazole, off-label, about 1978. Took me about four or five years to even admit that I was doing it all the time because it says right on the box, don't use on mucous membranes. 
what do we do about this evidence-based medicine junk? <laughs> what if we didn't go off-label? I don't think we'd learn anything. Anyway, that's another subject. Okay, vitiligo. This is associated with autoimmune disease. It is associated with 30% of the patients that you see with lichen sclerosis will have thyroid disease, and they can have vitiligo. The reason I'm showing this is so that you can see, I want you to be able to hopefully see the lichen sclerosis. See the crinkly lichen sclerosis in here? Here's the vitiligo all out here. Again, here's the vitiligo and then the white of the lichen sclerosis, not so much dramatic scarring here. This is what it looks like on the skin, and this is in a lady with her stria and a scar from a breast reduction. It often is in scars. So I do recommend when you see women with this, when they haven't had treatment, please biopsy them because they're going to be on treatment for their life. Don't just give them treatment, give them creamy, kick them out the door and say, I'll see how you're doing in a month and then we'll decide what we're going to do from there because then you can't get a proper biopsy. And if you, these people, you don't stop their treatment. When they're asymptomatic, you still keep them on it once or twice a week because they relapse. It's too bad, but it's the way it is. For all skin things, we do the same. We stop irritants, stop scratching, educate them, and treat any infection. Then we put them on clobetazole or halbetazole, and that's usually for 12 weeks. And I usually just use it once a day. And then I decrease to one, anywhere from one to three times a week. For very thick disease, I'll use intralesional steroids. And if they're not responding, I think about contact dermatitis. I th and, I th and I think about the things that they're usually doing to themselves because they're often putting you know, things on that are irritating and keeping them going, using those face cloths and whatever. Or maybe they've even actually developed a cancer, so you may have to re-biopsy them. There are other treatments. I'm not going to spend any time on these. Uh, you'll probably work with somebody to help you if you get to this stage. But if they're really bad, of course, and very, very itchy, you can use your systemic steroids. Methotrexate has been used. My favorite is low-dose acetretin. It can be very, very helpful. So with treatment, you can go from this to that in 12 weeks, and that vein was there before. I didn't give it to her because she had clobetazole, and then I still follow this lady. You can use intralesional steroid. This lady had used clobetazole every day for eight years, and it didn't work. Why did it not work? because she scratched all day long. So, you know, she, you treat her and can't keep walking on your broken leg. You know, you got to get off it for a while and you got to heal. So we started injections with triamcinolone. Uh, we got actually 10 milligram per ml for her. Here she is at three weeks and here she is several months later. Interesting, her mother and her aunt had the same disease. Don't forget to f these people to follow them. Teach them if they see any change or feel anything new to come and see you because they may have developed a tumor. This lady had lichen sclerosis. She's made a diagnosis in her 20s. She's now 46. She got mad at going back to the doctor, didn't want to do it for about three years, got itchier and itchier and itchier. There's her squamous cell. Look Look how big it is. It's really sad. There's a little tumor here, another little tumor up there. Tumor here, here, and here in that lady. Some management principles. There's lots and lots of good handouts out there that you can get. Please teach your people about their diseases. Use your handouts. I find photographs are really, really helpful. They help me. I actually hand my poor patients. I take pictures of their vulvas. I show them what it looks like with a mirror, and then I give them the pictures to go home to put on the fridge. <laughs> I don't think they do that. 
Lichen planus, 10 times less common than lichen sclerosis. Everybody knows about lichen planus. I'm sure you see lichen planus. Think about it in the vulvar area, especially if they've got it in the mouth. It involves scalp, nails, mucous membranes, even the esophagus. It's got the same, oh, look at my arrow. My arrow's had a little part of you, went in the wrong place. Anyway, about 4 to 5% go on to squamous cell carcinoma, just like it does in lichen sclerosis. These patients are somewhat itchy, but they mostly have pain. 75 to, or 80% have pain and discomfort. You can see the typical white lacy pattern. You can see a thick white pattern that looks like lichen sclerosis, or you can see an erosive pattern where the area is eroded and red and glazed, and let's look at some pictures of that. And you can have a normal vulva, and the vagina can be shut down or almost gone or completely ulcerated. So you're going to have to maybe find a nice gynecological person to work with. This lacy pattern, you see that? You can make the diagnosis from the end of the room and you don't need to do a biopsy. Why do you have to biopsy that? You know what it is. Nothing else on the vulva looks like that. That looks just like the Wickham stria, if you can see them up, up close, isn't it? Look at this going around the clitoris, so you're going to get all bound down if we don't get that treated right away. Again, the lacy pattern, but she's already scarred. Often you may not see the lacy pattern. What you're going to see is you're going to see this uh, sort of smudgy gray pattern here with some superficial erosions. Look at the pattern here. You can't see it. There's where the little hole going into the clitoris, everything's flat, and this sort of lacy edge down here that she's got, that isn't a melanoma, it's just some hyperpigmentation, and all the anatomy's gone, and that erosion goes right into the vagina, up the edge of the vagina. Here you don't even see, you can't see anything. The whole thing's red, and it's glazed, and it goes into the vagina with erosions. How to make, how's I sure that that lady had lichen planus? Uh, because her biopsy was rather nonspecific. When it's lacy like this, I can get good path, but here I don't get such good path. It's rather nonspecific. She had it very badly in her mouth, too. And this looks just like lichen sclerosis. You can't tell the difference. You really wouldn't know, except it's in the vagina, and she has lichen sclerosis in the anal area and also in the mouth. But look how thick it is, scarred down. This lady was told she had postmenopausal atrophy, and that's why she was bleeding constantly when as she touched herself. Whole vagina was, when I put my finger in the vagina, it felt like I was going through thick cobwebs of, of, of synechia as it was all sort of shutting down and scarring. Very, very erosive. Very, look at the, can you imagine, you know what, a, I mean, just a little paper cut. Look at that, all there. Ouch. Nasty. But you can make them better. First of all, you can tell them what they've got, and then you can get them on treatment. So your symptoms we've talked about. Dyspareunia is a big problem, aperunia, and sometimes they're asymptomatic, and it causes asymptomatic vulvar scarring. Look at these because they're tricky. Remember I said you've got to look close, right? There's the erosion. There's the flattening. This is all normal, but there's the erosion. Flat, eroded, lost the anatomy, scarred, lost all the anatomy, eroded and fissured. 
Look in the mouth, you can see erosions and ulcers. This is all the same lady. There's her buccal mucosa. And look, she's got a synechia across the labia majora. You can open up that in the office, it's easy. Just put you know, a little anesthetic and just a little snip and some mon cells on the edge. It's very easy to open up. But her vagina was completely shut and we had to have that opened up surgically with uh, one of our, my gynecological colleagues. So when it's in the vagina, you get this desquamation. The whole vagina sloughs on the surface, and it's called a desquamative inflammatory vaginitis, and they can have a lot of pain and burning and bleeding and discharge. And if you, they have discharge, please work with your gynecological colleagues to get some help. Sometimes they'll just have the straight, ordinary, everyday, run-of-the-mill lichen planus you see everywhere else on the skin. You know, the same polygonal papules and the purple color and the lacy pattern. And look, the anatomy's all gone. So don't forget to look at that vulva and look inside. Confirm the diagnosis with a biopsy if you need to. If it's a typical lacy pattern, you don't need to. The know that the pathology can be nonspecific, I'm afraid. You're going to do the same as you do for all my cases. Stop the irritant, stop the scratching, look after infection. And look, I didn't tell you how long to use the clobetazole or halbetazole. I just left it. You can use various steroids, and we'll talk about that in a minute. We can try the calcineurin inhibitors. My goodness, they're wonderful, but they burn. So I don't expect you to know this in your handout. You're going to work with somebody and work with somebody that can help you here, because I think this is a little bit beyond what you may want to do. But I do like intermuscular triamcinol, and I use it once a month for three months. And then I work with my, I, I use a lot of intervaginal hydrocortisone, and I'm not going to go into all these formulas because it's beyond you, uh, because you're not going to be putting this into the vagina. You're going to have to find someone in your area who can help you. And we have to use dilators to open them up. Systemic medications are really, really important. So other than the cortisone, you can use mycophenolate, you can use acetretin and methotrexate. They're the main ones that I use. But just topical steroids for some of these people that are very bad, and they do really, really well. I still follow her. So those are your lichens. Your lichen sclerosis is scars. It's not in the vagina. It could be itchy or sore. Your lichen planus is scars. It can be, of course, very generalized and can involve the esophagus. Ask them. They can swallow in your itchy, scratch, itch, lichen sclerosis. Why is your treatment going to fail? This is the same really everywhere in dermatology. Noncompliance. Don't forget they have poor education, fear of the steroids. Don't forget mobility. A lot of these patients are older and they've got trouble reaching down there. Maybe the diagnosis isn't correct or you've got something else, another complicating factor. So look for those other complicating factors that may be giving you troubles. Cancer, are you going to see it? Yes, people are going to talk about itch or burn or pain. They're going to come and they may have squamous cell carcinoma. It could be intraepithelial or it could be invasive. It's the commonest cancer in the vulva. Intraepithelial, you know, is squamous cell carcinoma in situ or bones, but the main world does not use that term, so I'm, I'm going to tell you it's called VIN, or vulvar intraepithelial neoplasia. It can be multifocal, the usual type in younger women due to HPV, looks like condylomata. Or it can be solitary in our older women associated with lichen sclerosis and lichen planus. And the invasive type, 40% are associated with lichen sclerosis. So here's the warty type, multifocal, due to HPV, 16, 18, usually. Hopefully with a Gardasil, that's going to go away. 
Here's VIN3, all involving this lady who's got lichen sclerosis. Here it is again in this lady who's got lichen planus, so it can be associated with those conditions. Squamous cell carcinoma, as I said, is associated with lichen sclerosis. And I want you to think about that when you get a patient with one of these conditions that comes, it's, ex it's got a disproportionate itch or burn in their vulvar area. You know, really, really uncomfortable. Or they'll say, well, I was using my steroids and everything was working, now nothing works. Here's some squamous cell carcinomas. You've got the scarring pattern of the lichen sclerosis, but there's an open area, and when you touch it, it's going to be indurated, another one. This is really hard. It's lichen planus, but it's eroded. There's the tumor. How do you find it? You found it with your finger because you can actually feel it. Quick overview on vulvar ulcers. Nobody sees ulcers very often. We don't see enough of them to make them easy. And they all look the same. I mean, you've got this ulcer and these ulcers, whether you have one or the other, they're just ulcers, and they don't tell you what they are. These are aphthi or canker sores. They're syphilis, and these are the ulcers you see in Crohn's disease. And they can be painful or painless, depending on the condition. I don't expect, I'm not going to read you this list. It's in your handout, but they, there's infectious causes, non-infectious ones, malignancy, and some rare ones. And we're going to talk about this one. This is a 16-year-old. She's three days into this. She's got a fever. She feels lousy. She's got a headache, and she's sick as a dog. She just feels absolutely miserable. Her mother's beside herself, wants to know what this girl's caught and who did it to her and all those awful things, and everybody's upset. She can't hardly urinate, terrible dysuria, and these are purpuric. They look like vasculitis. They look like vasculitic ulcers. That's in three days. And these are canker sores, canker sores on the vulva, aphthi. There's a lot of names. The, 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 it's called Lipschitz ulcers in Europe. Here, they, there's a whole report on not reactive, non-sexually related acute genital ulcers. I've got to write an article. I just still think they're aphthi. And they're sudden and onset, or they can be chronic. There's different types of them. But the ones, I'm, I'm just going to show you the different ones. Very, very painful. If they're acute, there's a prodrome, and they've got fever, headache, malaise, GI upset. These are in women that are, are girls anywhere from 9 up into their early 20s. And it's associated with EBV and a whole long list of infections. Mycoplasma, I've numbered the last while from mycoplasma. For complex apthosis, severe lesions with, with or without oral disease, they may have inflammatory bowel disease, Crohn's or osteocolitis. Bissette's extremely rare. Medications can do it, myeloproliferative disease, and HIV. These are all those acute onset ones. This is a 15-year-old who came to see me. She had this incredible outbreak. I gave her some prednisone. She was better in a week or so. And she had about two or three outbreaks total between age 16 and 21, then never had it again. This is at 18, the second time I saw her. I didn't see her with her third episode. I'd given her some prednisone. And I see her now because she's now married with kids, and she brought her daughter to see me for something else, her little daughter. And she hasn't had troubles for years, some more of these ulcers. So average age of onset, 14, sudden. They're sick. They're unwell. They're, the ulcers can be very large, up to two or three centimeters. You can have one or two or three. And they can go almost into the vagina. It can be, in some cases, uh, re re um, they can recur. 
And there are some types of canker sores that are a little bit different than this infectious category that are associated with recurrent disease and inflammatory bowel disease, which I talked about, but rarely ever facets. Here's another aplis ulcer, and this is what this child had on their vulva. This is a terrible slide. It's just awful. So I just want you to remember one thing. You don't need a biopsy. And you don't need to do any tests except to make sure they don't have herpes simplex because that's the number one thing you've got to rule out. And when you go to treat them, if you're not sure because you haven't got that herpes test back, cover them for herpes and treat them for apsi if you think that's what they have. You can always stop the herpes treatment when you find it the test negative. If you want to investigate them, there are some investigations, and that'll be in your handout. If they've got recurrent disease, then you can look for those other conditions, which I've listed. And what are you going to treat them with? You're going to treat them with prednisone, and they melt away. You need hardly the prednisone, it's gone. It's amazing. You can use just, you know, 40, 60 milligrams of prednisone for three to five days, cut the dose for three to five days, and it's over with and they're better. There are some, if you read the literature, they say, well, just give them some topical steroid. It's going to go away anyway. I think it goes away better if you do this. If these girls are really terrible, some of them have to be admitted. They have to get a catheter because they can't urinate. They're that uncomfortable. If they have recurrent disease, doxycycline as an anti-inflammatory can work really, really well. And I'm not going to go down the long list. This is the same thing we do with oral apsi that are recurrent and difficult. It's the same long list of medications. Just a picture of Epstein-Barr. This girl's 16. She came to my clinic at Dartmouth, and I don't know. This doesn't like me. Anyway, there's her ulcer, and her brother had mono. To find out what, why she had the aphthous ulcer, because this is a, a, a reactive phenomena to the organism. It's not because she's got infection in there. And she had an Epstein-Barr IgM antiviral capsid antigen antibody. That's a, but just ask for serology for EBV and they'll do it for you. Everybody says, oh, I know what they've got. I've got this patient. She's really, really sick and she's got besets. And I go, oh, not another one. They, they almost never have besets. It's extremely, extremely rare in women in North America. But these patients are, this one, are both from Israel, and they do have besets. It's the only one I had was in Canada. She's 16. The ulcers came when she was 14 after she was um, sexually uh, taken advantage of by her father's friend. Put that in big quotes. And she came with her mother, and she'd had these ulcers going on for years, for three, for two years. And that ulcer goes in there, comes out here, goes in there, comes out here. She had um, apthi in her gut. She had apthi in her mouth. She had a swollen knee and a positive pathogen test. Besets the disease of the Silk Road with a triad of oral and genital ulcers and uveitis. And you get these painful ulcers and a variety of skin rashes. But you don't get this. Women just don't get this in North America. It's extremely, extremely rare. It's a disease of men in the East, usually. Crohn's disease. Has anybody seen Crohn's disease in the vulva here? I've got a couple. Unfortunately, I think it's much more common than we think it is. I'm only telling you because you see ulcers. You can get these knife-cut ulcers and aphthous ulcers. You can get fistula. They're rare, but you can get a lot of edema and ulcers. It's a nonspecific metastatic involvement of Crohn's in the genital area. So there are their aphthous ulcers, just like the other ulcers I've told you, except that they stay. 
They're not coming and going. They're there and they're persistent. Knife cut ulcers, these ulcers down here in the folds. There's some apside, there's the knife cut ulcers in here in this patient. Knife cut ulcers up here with scattered apside down in here. This is a fistula. It's a child with edema, massive edema due to Crohn's, and they get big, big anal tags. A lot of edema in here as the Crohn's has blocked the lymphatics and they've got a lot of secondary edema, plus they had granulomas infiltration of the lower part of the labia majora, on, actually on both sides here, and the labia minora. So there's a whole pattern of different things. I don't expect you, I just want you to have heard about it or seen a picture somewhere. More important, I'd rather you think about drug eruptions. Everybody sees drug eruptions, and you know that they can, you get fixed eruptions around the mucous membranes, and you can get them around the genital area. And in the genital area, you can see erythema multiforme, aphthous ulcers, pemphigoid, lupus, lichen planus. Here's a lady that was said that she had recurrent herpes simplex all the time. She's always getting herpes simplex about mm, four or five times a year. And when I went back over the history, what she said was, I got a urinary tract infection, and then I take my medicine and I get this herpes infection, so I take this other medicine. No, no, excuse me. I, I get my urinary tract infection, I take all my medicine, and then I get a herpes infection. And it was because she took the pyridium every time she had her urinary tract infection. It was pyridium. So you've got to bring them back when they've got the rash and do the biopsy. And you can find it. This is due to a lady, this is a lady who got recurrent herpes every time she got her period. And I said, well, okay, well, why don't you come and show it to me? She said, well, no, it doesn't, you know, by the way, don't treat me for the herpes because I've taken all that Valtrex and all that stuff and it doesn't work. And I said, well, let's, let, could I please see it? Okay. So she came in and here it is and this is Motrin. And she took that every time she had her period, so it made sense. I'm going to finish off a little bit about steroids in the vulva because they've got a bad rap and I'll start off with what I did to my patients with overuse of steroids. Can you get steroid atrophy? Yes. Do you need to get steroid atrophy? No. This is a patient um, who had absolutely awful lichen planus and was using uh, some topical steroid and then I didn't see her for quite a while. And she went away and she got a nice big tube of it from her friend and she used it every day and she's still a little bit, no, she had lichen sclerosis, I apologize. Uh, still a little bit of lichen sclerosis left, but look at the redness. And she called because she said that the treatment didn't work anymore and she had burning now, constant burning. And this is steroid rosacea. This is burning from overuse of steroids. This is another old lady who did exactly the same thing, came to me, had lichen sclerosis. I spent my usual hour to an hour and a quarter, showed her everything, arranged for follow-up. She didn't come. Her brother said, you don't need to go back and see that doctor. I got psoriasis. I got tubes of that clobetazole. I'll give you a few. So she did it for three years. So I only give them 15 grams. I give them no repeat, and I spend quite a bit of time teaching them how to use topical steroids in the vulva. I give them specific instructions. First of all, I do educational vulvar exams. I get them to look at the vulva, I get them mirrors, I get them lights, I show them where everything is. And then I give them diagrams. So show them what's going on. Teach them what, where, and how it is. And take that diagram and draw on it if you want. It helps. 
They know exactly where to do it. Give them a note. Give them exact instructions. And how much do you use? What's with this pea-sized amount? I don't know. How big are your peas? They're all over the map. So go to a fingertip unit. There's a fingertip unit. And just use about a quarter. And you just need a little weeny bit. And I show them. I get some Vaseline. I have it in all my rooms. And I just show them on the back of my hand how much it takes to cover an area of a vulva. I make a little vulva with my hand. Go like this. Here's your vulva. This is where I want you to treat it. And I show them how to do it. It just takes a minute, but it can make a huge difference in how they do. Intermuscular triamcinolone. Usually you, give it, you have to give it into a muscle, and gluteal muscle is the usual place. I don't know what it's like where you live, but where I live, the ladies are very heavy. I can't get the gluteal muscle in many of my ladies that are really that heavy. They're really huge here. So what do I do? I use the anterior thigh, and I divide the thigh into two, three spots, one, two, three, and I pick right there, and almost all women, straight down into that muscle, I can get it into the muscle. So I don't leave a dip because I don't leave the cortisone in the fat, and it's slowly absorbed, and it does the job. But be very careful, oh, look at this. My end seemed to have taken a little trip down here. But anyway, make sure it does get into the fat. And I try to use the triamcinol no more than about four times a year. And I've had no trouble, and I've been doing it for, I don't know, 35 years, I think. Probably longer. Getting up for 40 years. Its peak effect is in 48 hours. It's out of your system approximately by three weeks. Hypoglycemia, hyperglycemia is fairly mild. You don't get that bloating. You don't get the weight gain. You don't get the appetite increase and limit how often you use it. Yes, you can be rarely allergic in all the thousands and thousands and thousands of doses we use, and we use it all the time for poison ivy and contact allergy. We have only one patient who is really allergic to it. I warn all my young women they're going to get irregular periods and they will get spotty and the perimenopausal women the same. I work with their doctors if they've got diabetes and high blood pressure, but often that's not such a big, big problem. And even the people with the glaucoma, provided they don't bag glaucoma, I check with their eye doctors, I don't have much trouble. I just want to finish up to say the commonest misconcurrent diseases, when you look at the vulva, Think about these things because you'll see them all together. Yeast, contact dermatitis, herpes simplex, atrophy with lack of estrogen, which we didn't talk about today, and cancer. And always look for more than one problem. So you listen to these people, review and re-review, find out what they're using. Biopsy, if you're not sure, just like they talked about earlier today, re-biopsy. Look for infections, trauma, contact, cancer. Educate them and support them. Support them. Get them back. Be their cheerleader. Make sure they're doing it and they're okay and they understand what's going on. So you assess them for that compliance. And always look for more than one problem. Because you're really vital for their care and you can make them better. So I want to thank you for having me today. There is a handout that's here. It's a written information handout on treating vulvar disease. It's 91 pages long. So you don't have to download it. It's at the University of Michigan. It's free. And you can find out about treating any of these conditions. Thank you.